Again, it's good to see everyone here tonight. Uh, for tonight, I'm going to be speaking on one of the miracles of Jesus. We're continuing with the study on the miracles. And it'll be Jesus calming the sea. And you can find this in Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But tonight we'll be reading from Mark uh, chapter 4 and verse 35, beginning there at 35. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles to that, we'll have the readings. So one of the most famous miracles in the Bible, which they're all very famous, is the story of how Jesus calmed the seas. And in fact, this miracle had such an impact on the disciples and their lives and the story of Jesus that it is recorded in three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So beginning in uh, verse 35 of Mark 4, the Bible reads, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest there not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So, first of all, I think we need to know and notice that Jesus never wasted a miracle. They always served a purpose. Or he never used them in a way to show off, so to speak, his power. But that every miracle he performed was done for a specific purpose or reason, to teach or to make a point. In this miracle, Jesus had just been teaching a large crowd that had gathered around him. So large, in fact, that the Bible says that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And there he spoke to them in parables. He spoke a parable about the sower, a parable about a lamp under a basket, a parable of the mustard seed, and a parable of seeds growing, a growing seed. The Bible then says in Mark 4, 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. And since he was already in the boat, he turns to his disciples and says, paraphrasing, let's go on a ride to the other side of the lake. And the lake that Jesus was talking about here uh, was better known as the Sea of Galilee. But the Jews referred to it as either the Lake Kinneret or Lake Tiberias. Scriptures say in verse 36, 
And leaving the crowd, they took with them, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. <clears throat> in the Contending for the Faith commentary of Mark, written by our brother Carl Johnson, he writes about this, verse six and verse thirty-six. And when they had sent away the multitude, he was in a ship of which he had been preaching from. And the Bible does not say anything about the ship as being prepared by securing or being loaded with food or clothing. And Mark also is the only writer mentioning that there were other little ships, indicating that not only did the disciples see his miracle, but some of the crowd as well that was following him in their boats as well. So as they began their boat ride, Jesus lies down in the stern of the boat and he fell asleep on a cushion. The stern in Bible times is a slightly elevated deck in the rear of the boat. And here are two important points, I think, that reveal the true humanity of Jesus Christ. And one is he needed rest and time away from the crowds, just as any other mortal would, as we do today. He was so exhausted that even the battering of the boat did not awaken him. These truths should help us realize that Jesus was genuinely human with the same basic needs that we all have. So Christ's humanity is part of what qualifies him to be our intercessor, our merciful intercessor between us and God the Father. He knows what it is like to live here on earth. And although the text doesn't say which apostles were with Christ on the boat, it is probable that the disciples on the boat were the seasoned fishermen disciples of Jesus. And these men would have been quite familiar with the ways of the sea. Certainly this was not their first squall on the Sea of Galilee, which was known in that time for its sudden raging storms. Yet even these professional fishermen were frightened by this storm to the point of fearing they would die in Luke 8 and 24. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I think it's significant that Jesus' sleep was deep and sound. Even through the storm, he slept in the boat, which was already filling with water. So Jesus' humanity is on quite a full display when this scene takes place. And no doubt, <clears throat> he was exhausted from teaching, from the events that had been happening then and the days prior to this event. And no doubt, he needed rest. He needed sleep. But I believe that when the Bible says he was asleep before the beginning of the storm, it just shows how effortless it was for him to calm the storm. And now Jesus' true divinity will once again take center stage in the calming of the sea. So moving on to the miracle, the Bible says that their boat ride or their boat trip turned into a disaster. 
they get caught in a storm so bad that the waves are coming over the sides of the boat, threatening to sink them. Thayer says a violent attack of wind, a storm of wind, a squall, meaning it wasn't merely a gust of wind in describing this event. Meg McGregor says the Sea of Galilee was known for forceful winds and suddenness. In Luke's account, he says, there came down a storm of wind on the lake. So the waves were beating the boat, tossing it up and down, and the boat was filling up with water. His disciples thought they were all going to die. So to them, this was a life-threatening situation. And Jesus' apparent indifference to this crisis was no doubt perplexing, worrying, troubling, even confusing to them by their proclaiming, carest thou not that we perish. So now remember, many of these disciples are lifelong fishermen. So I'm sure they've seen their share of bad storms. But even they are frightened at this storm. And keep in mind, his disciples are not calmly asking Where's Jesus during this crisis? Or thinking or saying to one another, well, he's in the rear of the boat sleeping. And they weren't thinking he's probably exhausted or tired or needed rest from his busy schedule. So he's taking this opportunity to catch a little nap. Now his disciples were terrified. They all were about to die in their minds, in this storm. So once his disciples woke him and asked, carest thou not that we perish? The Bible says he awoke and rebuked the wind. And to the sea, he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased, <clears throat> and there was a great calm upon the water. We used to sing a song for years, the song, uh, Peace Be Still. And the first verse in chorus go like this. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is overshadowed with blackness, nor shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep. And in the course, the winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace be still. Rather the wrath of the storm-tossed sea, or struggles or evil, whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall obey thy will. Peace be still. Peace be still. No doubt we can see the verses that this song was wrote about, the events in the Bible. Again, from the Contending for the Faith commentary by Brother Carl Johnson, he writes, there seems to be an element of surprise and maybe disappointment even from Jesus as to disciples being afraid. You see, disciples had and have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they are a long way from fully understanding all the ramifications of this fact. 
They just didn't realize that the creator and sustainer of the universe was indeed in the boat with them. Seems they were unable to place their dependence and their complete trust on Jesus at this time. What about us? Do we place our trust in Jesus? Have you ever been in a really bad storm? Maybe not in a boat, but we all have faced storms in our life that probably got difficult or scary, risky at times. We or somebody we know maybe got into a serious car accident. The doctor report comes back positive in a bad way about our health or the health of a loved one. We lose a job. Our child becomes seriously ill and so on. Many things, many circumstances face us in life <clears throat> that are indeed a storm in our lives. And just like the storm that Mark describes here, situational storms are so violent that they threaten to even drown us, so to speak, or to drown our lives. Proverbs 1 and 27 describes them. When, you, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, certainly a description of the fears, the stress, the storms that face our personal lives. Storms of life can sink our boat, so to speak, quicker than anything. That's the strange thing about life storms, I think, is that they're inevitable. They will happen. They do happen unexpectedly, and you're never really prepared for these storms. Uh, something about the storms of life that I want to share with you, and there's three points. These storms of life are going to happen, and there's nothing that you or I can do to stop them. Try as you may, try as I may, we can't avoid them. James 1 and 2 says, when you face trials of many kinds, it's not if, it's when. Where do you place your trust? Verse 37 tells us that a furious squall came up. And in Matthew's version of this miracle, he says, without warning, a furious storm came up. You say, well, how can a big storm like that just sneak upon them without warning? Surely, these men were fishermen, masters of the sea, so to speak. Uh, they could have seen or sensed a storm coming for hours, possibly, certainly for minutes, and could have avoided it. Well, wrong. They didn't. And remember that the Sea of Galilee at that time was notorious for its sudden storms. In fact, it can be perfectly peaceful one minute and the next minute you're in the middle of 10-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. 
That brings us to the second fact that you need to be remember about life storms. They're unpredictable. They hit suddenly and they hit unexpectedly. And they hit us with a ferociousness that sometimes knocks us off our feet. So who do we place our trust in during these times and during these storms of life? Who do we turn to? Certainly we turn to each other, but we need to remember to always to put our trust in Jesus and our trust in God. And then the third thing I want to notice about storms from this miracle is that storms are impartial. In other words, storms don't play favorites. They happen to bad people, good people, believers, non-believers, conservatives, liberals, people who choose plastic, cheap people who choose paper. They happen to non-Christians, and, and they even happen to Christians as well. Everyone faces these storms in their life. You know, some people get the idea that when they go through a bad storm, when something happens to them in their life or to their loved ones or their friends or family, that it's because God somehow is trying to punish them because in their mind they have done something and they are reaping God's punishment upon them. But I want you to notice that the disciples ran straight into this storm, not because they were disobedient, because they weren't obeying God, that they weren't paying attention to God's word, God's word. But they ran right into the storm because they were being obedient to God. Remember, Jesus had told them, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And that's exactly what they did. They were obeying God. They were obeying Jesus. They were in the center of his will, so to speak. And they still ended up in the middle of this storm. So when you go through a storm, don't automatically assume that you've done something wrong. It may be you're exactly where God wants you to be. God may want you in the middle of this storm. So in closing, storms by nature are inevitable and storms are unpredictable. And again, storms are impartial. They happen to everyone. So possibly the real question we need to answer is, how am I going to weather a storm when it hits my life? What should be my response to the storms that I face if and when I face them? And you will face them. When faced with a storm in our lives, whether it is situational, relational, or emotional, we can either panic or we can be at peace. It's our choice. And the disciples, we find in this occasion, certainly they decided to panic. They may not have decided to. It probably happened without them even being aware. They're screaming at Jesus even. 
trying to get him to wake up. You see what the disciples saw as Jesus' indifference to their safety in the hour of danger was actually a sign of ultimate trust in God by Jesus. Here is this monster of a storm raging, and Jesus is calmly, serenely sleeping on a cushion. I think it's kind of ironic because one of the signs or symptoms that we experience when we are in a storm is that certainly we can't sleep. When we're struggling with a trial or a relationship or with some emotion or problem in our lives, if you're like me, you lay awake tossing and turning, thinking about it over and over and over in your mind, trying to work it out for ourselves, but not Jesus. He could sleep anywhere. Now that's peace. For us, this miracle teaches when faced with a storm, we need to realize God's closeness. You know, if they had been thinking, possibly the disciples would have realized that they didn't have anything to fear if for no other reason that Jesus was in the boat. There's no way that God would allow that boat to sink with Jesus in it. And so we need to make sure that Jesus is in our boat. Or more precisely, we need to make sure that we are in the boat with Jesus. The Bible says the sleep of a believer will be sweet and peaceful because he knows the Lord is with him. You can find this in Proverbs 3 and 24 and Psalms 4 and 8. There is nothing you or I will ever face that we have to face alone if we have obeyed Jesus' plan of salvation, if we have become a child of God and a member of the body of Christ. 